0: Lesson 4 for April 20 through to 26, ready for teaching on Sabbath, April 27. When Alone, and it's read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, April 20. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to all sorts of interesting questions as we read your Word, and you find there, for us, so much that tells us about life, and this week we're Going to be reading about being single or alone, and as we do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us because, in many ways, each of us is alone, but we know that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep us close to him, and may your Spirit guide us this week. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Let's read that again, Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. A fascinating yet painful story made the news years ago. A young woman had been found dead in her apartment. Though the death was tragic itself, what made the story worse was that the woman had been dead for more than ten years before being found. Ten years! Thus the question that people had asked, and rightly so, was, how, in a big city like this, with so many people, and with so many means of communication, could a woman, who was not a street person, have been dead for so long, and no one know? Though extreme, this story is an example of a reality. Many people are suffering from loneliness. In 2016, the New York Times ran an article entitled, Researchers Confront an Epidemic of Loneliness. The problem is real. From the start, we as human beings were not meant to be alone. From Eden onward, we were to live in fellowship with other human beings to some degree or another. Of course sin came in and nothing has been right since then. This week we will look at the question of companionship and loneliness at the various times of life that, perhaps, all of us have at some time faced. If not, then count yourself fortunate. april 21 companionship question read ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through to 12 what's the basic idea here what principle of life is it talking about in general ecclesiastes chapter 4 beginning at verse 9 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he who has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Very few of us can make it alone. Even if we are loners and like being alone, sooner or later we not only want some companionship, but we might even require it, especially in times of need. We were indeed made for community, for fellowship. How fortunate are those who have close family members who can give comfort and support, especially in times of need. Unfortunately, There are people in our church, where we work, in the communities where we live, who have no one to turn to, not just in their time of need, but even for some conversation at the end of the day. The sense of loneliness can come at any time. The hardest day for me, an unmarried man said, is Sunday. During the week, I am surrounded by people at work. On Sabbath, I see people at church, but on Sunday... I am all alone. Question, what principles can we all learn from the following passages, particularly when we may be going through a time of loneliness? John chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need i can do all things through christ who strengthens me yes as christians we have not only the reality of god but the reality of being able to fellowship with god and we can indeed draw comfort from the closeness of god to us but the closeness of god to adam in eden didn't stop the lord from saying It is not good that man should be alone, in Genesis 2.18. Thus, God knew that Adam, even when he had fellowship with God in a world damaged by sin, still needed human companionship. How much more, then, do the rest of us need companionship as well? We need to be careful, too, of assuming that just because there are a lot of people around, a person cannot be lonely. Some of the loneliest people live in big cities where they often have interactions with others. Just being around other bodies doesn't mean someone cannot feel alone and alienated and in need of fellowship. So to finish the day, it's not always easy to know who is feeling lonely, alienated, rejected or who is just plain hurting and in need of someone, if nothing else just to talk to. How can you proactively seek to be more sensitive to whomever those people might be? Monday, April 22, The Unmarried Life A young woman told of the advantages of not being married. Twice I had the opportunity to go serve in the mission field, and I responded without any hesitation. A married person with a family might have had to take a little more time making that decision because it doesn't just involve them, but also their spouse and children. Question what are, according to Paul, good reasons for remaining unmarried? 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five to 34 Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do you seek to be loosed? Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Most people think that being married is God's will for them. Didn't he say, it is not good that man should be alone? And yet, We have many examples in the Bible of people who were not married, including the greatest example of all, Jesus Christ. Jeremiah was told not to marry. We read this in Jeremiah 16, verses 1 to 3. "'The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, "'You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place.' For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning their mothers who bore them, and their fathers who begot them in this land. It was a judgment on the historical situation. We don't know if that restriction was ever removed, but it is clear that Jeremiah was a great prophet while he was single. Ezekiel's wife died suddenly. God took away this important person in his life to convey a hard lesson about the situation of his people. He was not even allowed to mourn, but was to continue on with the ministry the Lord had assigned him, as we read in Ezekiel 24, verses 15 through to 18. Also, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke, yet You shall neither mourn, nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence, make no mourning for the dead, bind your turban on your head, and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips, and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and that evening my wife died, and the next morning I did as I was commanded. The prophet Hosea also experienced a broken marriage, but was able to continue in ministry. While the story seems strange to us, God told him to go marry a prostitute whom God knew would leave Hosea for other men, and that story is found in Hosea chapter 1, 2, and 3. Looking back, we can see God trying to illustrate the one-sided love that He has for Israel and for us. But it must have been extremely hard and painful for Hosea to be the object lesson. In each of these examples, marital status was not an issue. God was interested in the person's integrity, obedience, and ability to say what God wanted him to say. We need to be sure that our life is not defined by our marital condition. Many voices today will tell us that unless we are married, we are not complete. Paul would respond, Don't be like the people in this world. Instead, offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So to finish the day, what are practical ways you can minister to those who are unmarried, both church members and non-church members? Tuesday, April 23, when a marriage ends. Of all the ways sin has devastated humanity, with the exception of physical suffering and death, what has faced more devastating consequences from sin than the family? It's almost as if the phrase dysfunctional family is redundant. What family isn't to some degree dysfunctional? Outside of death, one of the hardest things a family can face is a divorce. People going through this terrible experience run a gamut of emotions. Probably the first and most common is grief, which, depending on the individuals, may last for several months to several years with different intensity. Some may experience fear, fear of the unknown, financial anxieties, and the fear of being unable to cope. Some may Go through a period of depression, anger, and yes, loneliness. Question What broad principles concerning divorce can we gather from the following verses? Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16 For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And Matthew chapter 5. Verses 31 and 32. Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And Matthew 19, verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 11-13. to 13. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say... If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. The Church Manual, 19th edition of 2016, page 161, has this comment. The Church, as a redemptive agency of Christ, is to minister to its members in all of their needs and to nurture everyone so that all may grow into a mature Christian experience. This is particularly true when members face lifelong decisions such as marriage and distressful experiences such as divorce. When a couple's marriage is in danger of breaking down, Every effort should be made by the partners and those in the church or family who minister to them to bring about their reconciliation in harmony with divine principles for restoring wounded relationships. And then there are three passages, four passages uh, recorded here, and I'll read those for you. The first is Hosea, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for fifteen shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of barley." And I said to her, "'You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you.'" And First Corinthians 7, verses 10 to 13. "'Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband.' and a husband is not to divorce his wife and first corinthians chapter thirteen verses four to seven love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and galatians chapter 6 verse 1 brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself lest you also be tempted the quote continues resources that can be of assistance to members in the development of a strong christian home are available through the church or other church organizations These resources include programs of orientation for couples engaged to be married, programs of instruction for married couples with their families, and three, programs of support for broken families and divorced individuals. And so to finish today, what are practical and non-judgmental ways you can help someone going through divorce? Wednesday, April 24, Death and Loneliness Someone once asked the question, What's the difference between humans and chickens in regard to the question of death? The answer is that, unlike chickens who die, we humans who die too know that we will die. Chickens don't. And it's this knowledge of our impending death that greatly impacts how we live now. As we know, all relationships, including marriage, sooner or later come to an end in our greatest enemy, death. No matter how close a union, no matter the great love, the great companionship, the time spent together as human beings, we, unlike chickens, know that sooner or later death will come unless Jesus returns beforehand, and when it does, all our relationships will cease. This has been our fate from the first sin, and will be so until the return of Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us which of the two, Adam or Eve, died first, but it must have been particularly painful for the other one, especially since death was never supposed to be part of life to begin with. If, as we saw in an earlier lesson, the death of a single leaf caused them to mourn, Who could imagine what they went through with the death of a spouse? The problem is that we are so used to death that we just take it for granted. But it was never supposed to be something that we as humans experienced. Hence, even to this day, we struggle to make sense of it, when so often we just can't. Question, what do the following texts teach us about death and about how people struggle with it? Isaiah chapter fifty seven verse one the righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil Revelation 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 17 to 18. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with These words Matthew five verse four blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted second Samuel eighteen thirty three then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept and as he went he said thus o my son Absalom my son my son Absalom if only I had died in your place o Absalom my son my son and Genesis thirty four sorry, 37 verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. No question, not only do we all face the reality of our own death, we face the reality of the death of others, of loved ones, of maybe our closest companion. Hence, sooner or later, many of us will face a time, a season of loneliness brought about by the death of someone else. It's hard, it hurts, and at such times we can and often must just claim the promises of God. After all, in this world of sin, suffering and death, what else do we have? So to finish the day, how can your church help those whom you know are suffering loneliness from the death of a loved one? April 25. Spiritually Single. A young woman named Natalie had been married for seven years when, at the invitation of a friend, she attended an evangelistic series at a local Seventh-day Adventist church. Convicted by what she learned, she surrendered her heart to Christ, had a new birth experience, and despite the strenuous objections of her husband, parents, in-laws, Even her next-door neighbour, Natalie, joined the Seventh-day Adventist church. She also adjusted her lifestyle to every degree possible to her newfound faith. As one can imagine, she faced a great deal of pushback. What made it especially hard was a husband who argued from his point of view, This is not what I signed up for when we got married. You are a whole new person, and I want the old one back. For years now, she has been struggling to live a life of faith. Though married, she is what we could call spiritually single. Question, what encouraging words do we find in the following verses for those who may feel spiritually single? Isaiah 54, verse 5 For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel.' He is called the God of the whole earth, and Hosea chapter two verses nineteen and twenty, I will betroth you to me for ever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And Psalm seventy-two verse twelve. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, The poor also, and him who has no helper. All over the world there are Natalie's in our church. These people, men or women, are married but attend church alone or only with their children. They may have married a person of a different faith, or perhaps when they joined the church their spouse did not. Or, when married, both were members of the church, but one, for whatever reason, dropped out, stopped coming, and may even be hostile to the faith. These men and women come alone to church and to the meal after the worship service, or go alone to the outreach or social activities of the church. They are saddened when they cannot contribute financially to the church's ministry as much as they would like, because their spouse does not agree to do so though married they might feel spiritually like a widow or a widower. We probably all at some time or another have met people like this in the church, and they do need our love and support. So to finish the day, what practical things can we as a church family do to help the spiritually single in our midst? Friday, April twenty sixth. From the book Gospel Workers, Ellen White writes on page fifty two In the midst of a life of active labor, Enoch steadfastly maintained his communion with God. The greater and more pressing his labors, the more constant and earnest were his prayers. He continued to exclude himself at certain periods from all society. After remaining for a time among the people, laboring to benefit them by instruction and example, he would withdraw to spend a season in solitude, hungering and thirsting for that divine knowledge which God alone can impart. Communing thus with God, Enoch came more and more to reflect the divine image. His face was radiant with the holy light, even the light that shineth in the face of Jesus.' as he came forth from these divine communings, even the ungodly beheld with awe the impress of heaven upon his countenance. Though the story of Enoch here is encouraging, and has something powerful to say about those who choose to have times of solitude, many face a solitude they don't ask for. They don't want to be alone. Yes, again, we can always have a joyful communion with the Lord, who is ever-present, but sometimes we crave human companionship and fellowship. How crucial that we, as a church, be ready to reach out to those who might be sitting right next to us on Sabbath each week, yet who are going through a terrible season of loneliness. At the same time, if you are going through such a time, seek out someone whom you feel that you can trust at church or elsewhere and let them know. Many times people simply cannot tell by looking at someone what they are going through. It's easy, at least for some people, to hide behind a mask. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. How can your church learn to be more sensitive to the needs of the lonely in your midst? 2. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content, Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11. Read the larger context of Paul's words here. How can we learn to apply these to ourselves? At the same time, Why must we be very careful in how we quote this passage to someone who truly is hurting? Let's look at the wider context. We'll go back to Philippians chapter 4. Let's start at the first verse. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudoa, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren... But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at least your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need.' I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift— but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephrodotus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus.' Now to our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. 3. In class, talk about a time when you went through severe loneliness. What helped you? What hurt you? What did you learn that could be a help to others? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Division President Baptizes Father, and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Samuel Saw, president of the Seventh day Adventist Church's Southern Asia Pacific Division, grew up without a relationship with his father. The two never spent time together in their home country of Myanmar. They didn't talk about things. He never hugged me, Saw said. I was a boy without a father. Saw was raised by his grandparents, went on to study in an Adventist school, and graduated as a pastor from the Myanmar Union Adventist Seminary in Myangoma, a city of 280,000 people, located about 140 miles, or 225 kilometers, west of Myanmar's capital, Yangon. Church work was challenging in the Southeast Asian country, where just 4% of the population is Christian. Buddhists account for about 90% of the population, and Muslims comprise 4%. As a pastor, Saw told many people, reach out to your non-Christian family and other relatives, but he never reached out to his own father. Saw got married, had two children, and served as a pastor and church administrator in Thailand, Singapore and the Philippines. While serving as Executive Secretary of the Southern Asia-Pacific Division, Saw attended a week of prayer that prompted him to think hard about his father. He shared his childhood story with the speaker, and the two men prayed together. "'You've got to reach out to your own father,' the speaker said." "'Saw prayed to God to give him strength. "'He felt pain when he thought about his father, "'and he lacked the desire to connect with him. "'He kept praying and the unexpected happened. "'I was privileged to baptise my own father at the age of 76,' Saw said. "'Saw still remembers what his father said afterward. "'Son,' the elderly man said, "'I want to be a Christian who goes to church "'with a songbook and the Bible in my hand.' Please buy a songbook and a Bible for me so I can carry them to church. Saul choked up with emotion as he remembered his father emerging from the water of the baptismal tank and wrapping his arms around him. It was the first time that he hugged me in my whole life, he said. In 2016, Saul was elected President of the Southern Asia Pacific Division, whose territory of 14 countries includes Myanmar. He encourages others to ask God for help to overcome bitterness and hurt. We are just human beings without God's transforming power, he said. But with His power, we can be a difference to the world.